Welcome to another episode of The Bomb Diaries. I am your favorite solo host of this podcast, Chris Flail. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for listening to the last one of these I released a few weeks back. Um, and, and here we are for another one. And I've told you oftentimes before that I tend to be a rage-based organism. Spite and anger is typically what fuels me. We are in a unique position where um, I was a little bit tired this morning. Didn't know if I would record. I know I've got a lot to catch up on, but didn't know if I necessarily had the gumption to say it. Um, and right before I turned on the recorder today, I just saw something that made me very frustrated and angry, um, which is just what I need to get us through this episode. And I'll tell you what that was. Um, shameless promo moment on Saturday, March 21st. I will be throwing another Streets of Bakersfield comedy showcase at Tembler Brewing Company at uh, 3200 Buck Owens Boulevard in Bakersfield, area code 93308. Show starts at 8 p.m. Tickets are $15 for general admission, VIP $25, and we've got another uh, amazing lineup of comedians. Uh, Your headliners will be uh, Matt Edgar, who you may have seen from Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening. He's been on the Adam Carolla Live podcast. He's a fixture at every comedy club in the country. Uh, and also Rachel Wolfson, who similarly, uh, comedy store, comedy seller, The Laugh Factory. I believe she's been on Comedy Central Digital. Fantastic. Um, also coming this uh, show will be Kelly Ryan, who is a fixture at the Comedy Store, a fixture at the Hollywood Improv, Laugh Factory, a uh, number of festivals. She's kind of been all over the place. Great comic. And then one of my best friends in comedy, one of the people I started comedy with in Bakersfield, a hometown boy made good. Uh, the one and only Bruce Gray is coming back to Bakersfield. He's a comedy store doorman, which any of you who know is basically being anointed by those that be in the real-time comedy community is is one of the next up-and-comers. It's kind of a, a, a grooming ground for uh, of growing uh, and nurturing uh, comedic talent. So he's been lucky enough to do that in the past few months. He's all over the place. He does regular shows at the Hollywood Improv, um, and he's going to be joining us again, like I said, back in his hometown uh, where it all began. So it'll be a great time. I may add another really good comic to this show. I'm not sure if I've got the time to do it. And also I want to see what kind of tickets we sell. We're already off to a good start, but I want to see what it looks like toward the end because the main part for me is to be able to pay all the comics and the staff a good little chunk of change afterwards. All the money that you pay for tickets does not go to any profit for anyone but the performers you see. So I'm not keeping it. Uh, Tembler's not keeping it. Um, It goes to the staff and to the comics who make you laugh that night. So you can rest assured it's going to a good place. Um, So that show is coming up. And I just got the ads posted uh, targeted Facebook ads so people can see it. And that's really where the ticket sales ramp up for me. We've got a good system and method of how to do it. I got a good flyer for it. We know how to describe it. Um, and the town really has rallied around, rallied around the show in the last, I can't say <laughs> rallied around. There we go. Third time. Rallied around the show. And we've we've pretty much sold out shows for the last two, maybe three years of this thing. It's grown to... Um, uh, something that we've really enjoyed. Uh, but the ad just went out today. And in the ad, um, whoever has posted the ad on my behalf didn't post the names, which is okay. 
Because one of the things that I took to the approach of this showcase is not to advertise the names of who's coming, but to advertise the brand of SOB Comedy Showcase. That way you know when you see this brand, I want you to trust me that I'm going to bring the funniest people I know to make you laugh. And so far, you've all been generous enough to do so, whoever's listening to this locally. And I very much appreciate that, and I want to keep that tradition alive. So we don't focus on, even when I brought world-famous comics, I brought Ian Edwards here, who is a top-notch comedian in the world, who, who the comics, comic, any comedian that you know that's famous today and successful today will tell you that Ian's one of the greatest in the world. When I brought him here, didn't focus the advertising on him because I wanted to focus it on this. And the crowd showed up that night and they got a great treat. Um, a, a nationally renowned comedian, Tom Clark and Steph Clark, uh, his wife came up to perform. Uh, didn't advertise them, advertise the show. Um, Matt Edgar's been up before. He's he's opened up at Tembler before for some of the biggest acts you know. Didn't advertise him, advertise the show. And that's been our method to success and wanted to kind of build the local brand so that when you see that Bakersfield shot, you know you're going to see good comedy. And you don't have to worry about who it is. And I don't want you to think see laughs on Fox and go, oh, he must be funny. He was on Fox or he was on CBS or, oh, we wrote for this TV show because I've been on shows with people who were on network comedy shows or have been, gotten these gigs and credits. And, it, and sometimes it's, they're very much not ready to headline a room. I've done it before. I've opened for comedians who who panicked at the idea of doing 40 minutes. There was one show I can think of that I was on. There's this guy who's in the comedic world, but he's not a traditional stand-up guy, so he hasn't earned his stripes. Um, But the whole thing was advertised of all the things he'd been on, and he's a very nice guy, very open, welcoming. I was uh, booked to feature for him, so I was doing 25 minutes, and I did, I did about 27, stretched a little longer than I should have, and I got off and realized that he was not ready to go up at all. I think he only finished out doing like 18 minutes because it was just not his world. That's what I want to avoid. I don't want you to see somebody was on, what did it was an was an extra or had a bit part on Parks and Rec one time, so you should come out for that and it winds up being dog shit. I want you to see Streets of Bakersfield Comedy Showcase and just know that even if you don't know these people as household names, this is household funny that you'll see. So that's the idea. They put the ad out, the names aren't on it, which I would have liked for the bios to be on it, but it's okay because that's not the main focus of this. I see a comment underneath and it says, uh, only in Bakersfield would there be a, quote, comedy showcase advertised where they don't tell you the names of the people on the showcase. No thanks, period. Now, first of all, from the start, you're an asshole, if that's you. Like, you saw, when you see an ad, when you see a promoted ad for a local thing, you know that, you don't know what it is or who it is or whatever, but you know somebody went to a lot of trouble to do something And you've seen a lot of local ads that you haven't supported or rallied behind, and you don't know if this is successful or not. Luckily, it is, but you don't know. If the first thing that you have the instinct to do is to try to poke holes in that and to to be the first comment on an advertisement to try to dissuade people away from the show, you're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit as a person, whether it's my thing or it just happens to be my thing. But I can't, and I've had that urge before to be a bum and I try to catch myself anytime I get that urge to try to make a little wise crack or take a little jab it, that will get me nothing 
there's nothing to gain from being that guy. And all you can do is take away from something that could be very good and something that somebody worked very hard on. I try to coach myself against that. So I see this comment and I look at the name of the guy who made the comment. I'm like, God, I think I feel like I know that guy. I know that name. I think that's a guy I know and know quite a bit. And I look and sure enough, I do. We're friends. We've got a couple dozen mutual friends. And I realized that this is a guy who's come to our venue and performed on our stage a number of times at our open mic. Signed up, went up, showed up sometimes where there wasn't room to put him on. I made room to put him on. Um, put this guy on stage when, uh, without getting too much into it. He came from another entertainment community that turned its back and abandoned uh, and and did turn its back on him didn't really allow him to rejoin that group he came to us when they shunned him away um and and for whatever reason that was and and had a place to go to try to work out his material and he's the guy that did this at even if he doesn't know that this is my show it's the venue that took care of him it's got nothing to do with me he sat in that place for weeks on end and made this comment. So I just sent him a message to let him know that uh, it's my show. And then I explain why it is uh, to address his actual problem with the show. And then just let him know, hey, by the way, if you'd like to take the comment down, yay. And I wrote, but no worries if not. I'll just respond to it publicly with a little more mustard than this message. So we'll see what this peckerhead decides to do. And um, I'll probably put this out either tonight or Monday morning. So go to Facebook and look for the Streets of Bakersfield Comedy Showcase advertisement. I'm, I'm sorry to say that all of our non-local listeners, you probably won't see this unless you go to the Timbler Brewing Company f- Facebook page and like it. Then there's a chance that you'll see it because part of the advertisement is for the web of those people. Um, so you'll know by about Tuesday if I've started to go scorched earth on this motherfucker because he hasn't taken his comment down. If by the end of tonight it ain't down, the next time I pull up this newsfeed and go to this ad, it's going down in public. So be prepared for that. Right now, as I talk to you, I believe we are in the midst of the South Carolina primary, Democratic primary. I guess it's Democratic and Republican primary, but we know how the Republican one's going to go. Democratic primary is going on right now, and I just can't wait to see how they're going to try to wiggle this thing away from Bernie. I'm going to try to not talk too much about how I feel about the politics of it. but I'm I'm curious to see how they're going to do it this time. It's almost like it's almost like when you watch a professional wrestling match and you'd watch one of those it's one of those like lesser known pay-per-views or, or one of those events where look this isn't SummerSlam or WrestleMania so you know there isn't going to be a big change but you know you know that the guy you want to win the title is is going to get screwed out of winning the title right now before the inevitable happens. So like you're just watching this thing when it comes to Bernie going like, how is a democratic party 
going to put the screws to him again. It's just like watching the WWE of going like, God, I know, I know the rock isn't going to win this time, but what's going to happen? Is he going to, is he going to give the rock bottom to a guy before he pins him? The ref's going to get knocked out, and so we can't do the three count. Is the ref going to be distracted while somebody hits him and then he gets pinned? Is somebody going to come out at the end and get everybody disqualified so he technically wins, but he doesn't get the title because it's not by pinfall? It's like how creative and clever are they going to get? They've got the full court press on right now trying to – they try to do it to Buttigieg just by pure – just by pure like, hey, we're going to steal it right in front of your face when they did it in Iowa with the coin flip and all that nonsense. And then it moved on to New Hampshire and like, you know what, Liz Warren, we could, we can push this route. And that didn't really go places. I still think that's going to be the way they try to push it. And now they're down in South Carolina doing the old, Hey, Biden's got a black friend, you know, who's supposed to be, your guy. they're going to pump that. He sat in the, in the sidecar to Obama as hard as they can to get this South Carolina thing. And I don't know what's going to happen because I don't, I don't follow it like that. But I could tell you who's won all of the delegates of South Carolina Twitter, and that would be Mr. Bernard Sanders. I mean, people are posting pictures of him in the 1960s getting arrested with people in the civil rights movement. Every hashtag SC primary you see is a big Bernie thing. People, for the first time that I can think of in my adult life, except for maybe at the, my turn of being 18 when Obama was just elected, are excited to go to the polls and go for it. And it's because you got a guy that's speaking to the things that concern them and trouble them, and it's the first time someone's legitimately done that and has consistently done that. And you may disagree with that, and God knows that I've seen an, enough of it, especially in my uh, hometown neck of the woods. They're very much against the burn, and hey, I, I've got I've got issues with the burn too. He's he's my main guy, um, but there's there are aspects that I disagree with. Hell, he's he if if left to his devices, he will bury and bankrupt my industry, which in some ways I think is unfair. I understand I understand a future transition that needs to happen, but I I um I don't think that the method that's that's being used right now is going about it either the right way, the practical way, the pragmatic way, or even the best way for the environment. But this isn't a political podcast. I'll get into that another time if you'd like. Um, so let me know in your, in your comments, if you'd like to hear more about that, I'll do a breakdown. I don't give a shit. I got a ton of time to waste. All I'm ready to do is fight with people online. So you just let me know. But I saw a, uh, let me see if I can, let me see if I can find it today. I saw the, I saw the political manifesto memes and one was like, yeah, I can't wait till Bernie gets rid of my student loans so I don't have to pay that $160 a month, but I have to pay $450 a month in taxes or every week in taxes. It's like, okay. Um, I, I don't, they're already sharing these memes and the meme was from uh, at just a guy, 1225, who I don't know is who you should take your economic policy from. But if you would like to hear it from me, here's why a young person might be excited when Bernie says... Um, young people in this country have been taken to the cleaners and they've been taken advantage of and we're going we're gonna to wipe out student loan debt and start from scratch and we're going to do it by taxing Wall Street speculation. Now, for one, again, I'm energy industry, oil and gas right now. If he were to say, if he were to come out and say, 
we need to transition away from the fossil fuel industry. What we're going to do is fund this. We're going we're gonna to do this by taxing oil and gas speculation, and we're going to use that to transition into the future and transition those workers and those industries into the future. Dude, I'd be over the moon. They're not saying that. They're saying, they're saying bankrupt. It's, it's not like he's saying we're going to bankrupt Wall Street and we're going to take care of student loans. So it's something that, at least on the outset, probably wouldn't impact you at least directly, extremely, extremely indirectly. But here's why, and again, I don't want to change your hearts and minds on this. I just want to tell you what it feels like for somebody who may be under the the crippling weight of how student loans have played out in America. I am somebody who did not come from, you know, a, a ton of money, did not come from a ton of education, didn't come and, and grew up in an area that's impoverished and all those things. I wanted to be a lawyer. And I grew up knowing that I wanted to go to college and my family um, encouraged me to go to college and I'm glad that they did. So I went to four years of undergraduate school and again, needed to take student loans while I did that. Finished in my four years, got my business management degree, worked for two years in a variety of jobs, uh, Sears, Verizon Wireless, you know, nothing glamorous. I was doing retail management, Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, I did real estate land sales for a story that's actually a pretty good for another day to tell you. Um, and then I decided to go back to law school. So for two years, I paid back on student loans. Um, and then I went back to law school for three years on almost an entire tuition scholarship, only had to take out money for expenses. So I did it right the second time and paid much less than I did in undergraduate. When I got out of law school, I owed $140,000 in student loan debt. About 70, 65 to 70% of that I acquired, um, I signed up for, that's my undergraduate, about 70% about of it was my undergraduate debt. I agreed to that when I was 17 years old, basically, in a desperate panic of how in the world am I going to pay for school. So to give you an idea, when I was 17 years old, I made a commitment for basically $100,000 that I would pay back. Since I've gotten out of law school, I pay approximately $1,400 per month in student loans. And I'm one of the lucky ones. I got a really good job after I got out of law school and I've leveraged that into a, a really comfortable life. But even still, and to where I don't have to worry about money and I'm very happy about that and I feel very grateful. But every month I've gotta pay that $1,400. It is, it is a tough check to write. And more, moreover, if uh, I've got people in my class that were a lot less lucky than me, um, to give you an example, just to get my job, here's what I had to do. I had to be in the top, at the time, I had to be in the top 15 of my class. I had to um, beat out thousands of, hundreds to thousands of people to even get into the interview room for the internship. Then a follow-up interview I had to do down in Houston with about three or four dozen people. I had to beat out over half of those. Then I had to go to Pittsburgh and work for 14 weeks in an internship that was basically a job interview. 
sell myself there and beat out people there to get one spot in California that I wanted. All those people that I just spoke about, I am no more special than. The hundreds of people that I beat out to get in the first interview room, all of them were well-qualified and good students and hard workers. I, I just, and I know this because I've interviewed people before. For some weird reason, my resume skated through the pack. Uh, because I don't have a huge, uh, an amazing pedigree. And then after that, I just so happened to have a good day when I went into that in-person interview room that got me a trip to Houston. And then I just so happened to interview against a lot of people who I was older and more experienced then and had a good day with the people down there and went up to Pittsburgh. And then I just so happened to have a mentor up in Pittsburgh who was my boss, who was an incredible man and fought tooth and nail to get me a good rating in my internship because he had my back. And I just so happened to request a location that most people don't want to go to, but it was where I wanted to go to. And then I just so happened to get good at a weird thing because I'm out here that nobody else in my industry has experience in unless you're here. And at a large-scale company like mine, I get to work on big projects that no one else does. I just so happened to do all that. And because I just so happened to get lucky all those times, I can comfortably pay my $1,400 a month. And there are tons of people who were no less qualified than me, who were no less hardworking than me, who care about it no less than me, who didn't have all those fortunate breaks, and now they're an assistant district attorney making $35,000, $45,000 a year, and I don't know what the hell they're doing. I don't know how they do this, to be honest with you. They may be on the income-based based re- <laughs> I can't speak for shit today. Sorry for you having to listen to this. But they're, anyway, they're on the income-based repayment program where they can pay a little bit less based on the percentage of their earnings, but it basically extends their student loan payment out for fucking ever. Um, there's no good answer. So when someone comes along and says, hey, maybe you've been taken advantage of, and why do I have to pay that? Now, you could, I understand the pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work harder, you should know what you're signing yourself up for, and I take ownership of that. And given the option to do it again, I would do it again, and, and this has afforded me a life I never thought I would have, so I'm truly appreciative of it, and I don't mind making the payment, I don't mind paying it back, I understand, pay what you owe, all that stuff. But the only thing I did... Um, was be born to a set of circumstances that are different than my colleagues because I'd say 75 to 85% of them were born as legacies. Their family went to college and got these high-paying jobs and put them through college, especially in my industry. A lot of people work in the industry or at the company that the kid works for, so these kids didn't have to pay for college uh, because they, you know, th- people always talk, talk about, quote, privilege. They had the privilege of not having to fund their own education. They could dream for a bigger, better life for themselves without having to put their entire well-being on the line. I didn't have that luxury. I had to take a chance and basically set myself in debt for the next 20 to 25 years in order to do so. Now, that was my decision to make and my cross to bear, but I do feel like... Maybe, maybe um, there should be an easier route for someone like me to have a chance to do that. And the option shouldn't be, hey, either put yourself $140,000 in debt or don't go. Turn wrenches and save money even if you don't want to do that. And do, so here's, here's what you got. You can, you can either put yourself into basically indentured servitude 
because I got an email. Again, I've been out of school nearly seven years now. I pay $1,400 per month. I got an email last week to inform me that I've paid back 9% of my student loans. 9%. Seven years, 9%. If you think that's right, just turn us off. Because we're never gonna we're never gonna vibe with each other. So Bernie, bitch, vote for Bernie. At least he'll scare somebody. I just hope he scares somebody enough that they do something about this shit. I don't care who wins. Just do, just do something. I don't care, dude. I would vote for Triumph Insult Comic Dog to be president if he did something about student loans. It's time. There's no lobby for twenty year olds. I know you think we're millennials and snowflakes and we're spoiled. There's no lobby for 20-year-olds. So trust me, your kids got fucked. I was screwed over. Uh, my, my colleagues were screwed over. Whoever kids are now that make you roll your eyes about their TikTok and their nonsense, they're getting fucked because there's no lobby for them. No one cares. After that little soapbox derby, let's get to some fun. I... Uh, I, I was reaffirmed that I don't fit in in the corporate world and also in the networking world. And this is a lot of the reason why I'm not more successful in comedy is because I can't network. I can't make friends with people just for the leverage it provides me. If I like you, I like you. If I don't, I don't. I have a tough time selling myself, all those things. Um, In my regular career, I was sent down to my job's largest conference of the year, which happens in Houston. It's a three-day conference, and my job was nice enough to send me there. However, it became um, evident right away that I did not fit into this conference one bit. I shouldn't have been there, um, and I learned it when I checked in. I got to the airport, and by the way, Houston's a strange place. Every dude at the airport, you can tell the people that have money, and they all look like Kenny Stabler. They're these white dudes with white hair and an attitude, fucking finger rings and shit, cowboy boots and tight jeans, and it's just a weird, it's a weird guy to be, is it like a Houston, you know, piss and vinegar guy. But after I left the airport, get to the hotel, and as I walk into the hotel, I'm I'm dressed in just travel to. A hotel. I'm in jeans and a t-shirt. So that's how I dress. I walk into this hotel and everybody from check-in line to sitting on the couches to having a drink at the hotel, everybody is in either a blue suit or gray suit, dark blue suit, dark gray suit. Three or four of my coworkers are there at check-in and they're just kind of mingling with each other and, and trying to, you know, network and smooch up to whoever needs to be smooched up to, all in suits. I'm in jeans and a t-shirt. I didn't, they're all in suits to check into the hotel. I didn't bring a suit for the conference. So at this point, I know I'm fucked. But I'm also of the mind of like, I'm not going to go spend $600 to buy a suit in downtown Houston. People think that I'm cool. So I checked in, I just took it on the chin, and sure enough, every event that I went to, there were ten to 20,000 people, it felt like at least, all of them in a dark blue suit or a dark gray suit, and there's asshole me in, <laughs> in, a, in a forest green checkered button-up shirt, which is dressed up for me, and so I basically just spent the conference hiding from people. Um, there was one guy who stopped me outside of the hotel 
and asked me, thought I was like a poor kid and thought if it, he gave me this whole story rundown and I couldn't figure out what he was getting at. And finally he said, so what do you think about that? How about, how about, uh, I, I hook you up today. All you got to do is run a couple errands for you, for me, and I can give you $44. And I looked and I said, I'm in the, I'm in the conference. I'm in, I do the shit you do. I'm in the conference too. And he just kind of laughed. He was like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I didn't know. You didn't look like somebody who mattered, basically. And they're right. I don't. Which is why, for one, I've got, like I said, I'm an introvert and got some social anxiety and stuff like that. So I had some friends down there, but I wanted to just stay out of everyone's way because I know my friends are in the Houston, Austin area where you got to do this networking and politicking you know, the whole thing. And you got to sell yourself and sell your products and meet people and all that. I didn't have any interest in that. Luckily, I was not of the circumstances where I had to. So my whole goal um, was just to stay out of everyone's way, even friends who wanted to catch up and hang out. I just, I thought it would be better off if I could leave them off the hook, even though they didn't ask to, just to be like, hey, I know you've got actual important people you need to talk to here and you need to make moves. I, and I know you would, you're good enough to put that on hold for me. I don't want to put you in a position to have to do that. So you go do your thing, brother. And all I did was I hid from people at the conference after the allotted time where you're supposed to be there. And I found some corner bar. Uh, we were right across the street from where the Houston Astros play. So I, can, I, could see, I could see signs being stolen from my hotel room window. But it's the off season. So in the off season, there's nothing going on down in that section. Well, there's a bar down the street from my hotel, right across the street from Caddy Corner from the stadium. And it's called some, you know, reference to the stadium. It was like home plate bar and grill or rounding third or, you know, whatever, whatever baseball shit it was. And I went in there two out of the three or four nights I was there. And when I tell you I was the only person in this bar for two hours each night, I was the only person in this bar. During the off-season, dead. During the off-season, dead zone. And I loved that so much, just the quiet of it and to talk to normal people who weren't having the same four conversations, like the bartenders, the cooks. It was just them and me. And I just sat at the bar and we chatted about life. And I learned what real life in Houston is like. And I learned what real down-home people in Houston were dealing with. And I heard some, we had some great jokes and great times and some wild stories. Um, This one guy told me like the week before his car caught fire. Uh, His girl was driving his car for the first time and she called him to tell him that it caught fire. It basically burned up and he told a story about that. And I could tell it was like a struggle but he was having some good laughs about it and then they were talking about something I didn't even know about is that one of his cousins went to live with him that got shot one time and apparently like he needs one of those uh, bags to relieve himself apparently his rectum is in the bag and I didn't know he's like and he's telling me this he's like dude it's not just that he relieves himself in the bag his ass is in the bag I'm like what he's like yeah it's in the bag I, I'm afraid to google it but what a story. You don't get that at the conference where everyone's wearing a blue suit or a gray suit. They all are assholes in a bag. They're not talking about an asshole in a bag. I had the best time ever, but I can't tell anybody at work that because no one at work wants to hear that story. Like, oh, how was the conference? Great. Let me tell you what I heard about. So I just say, yeah, it was a good time. Got some good networking. And they say, what happy hour did you go to? And I just say whatever one I think they weren't at. And they're like, oh, yeah, I hear that's a good one. I'm like, yeah, it's packed. Barely could talk to anybody. 
We just have that little chuckle that you do when you mention the weather to someone you work with, and we walk away. I think since last time I spoke to you, we had the Eric Griffin Show at Templar Brewing Company, which is fantastic. Fantastic. Eric Griffin is hilarious, and he's got a podcast. I forget the name of it, but the podcast is really good. You should check that out. I really enjoyed him. Really nice guy. I was a little concerned because he came a year or two ago, and he was very cool with me, but he was a little prickly with some of the younger comics, but I know what it's like to have to deal with younger comics, and I know what it's like to be kind of a prickly guy because I am one. So he and I vibed right away, but this time he was in a great mood, having a great time, Uh, very much pleased the crowd. It just all worked out. My buddy opened up the show, Joe Alanis, my comedy wife that you all know, and everybody had a really good time, uh, full packed house. Uh, he stuck around to meet everybody afterwards, and we chatted for a little while. It was one of those good nights of comedy, one of those good nights of comedy that keeps you going. So that was nice. Um, and then, which is my reason for speaking to you today, this past week, I had a really interesting one. Um, I performed at a strip club in Rosamond, California, which for those of you who don't know, including myself, is an 18,000-person town, which is in kind of the central valley of California, just somewhat in the middle of nowhere. And they have a strip club in this town. And that already to me is amazing because there's no big city nearby. This town is 18,000 people. And somehow they've managed to turn out 24 strippers in an 18,000-person town. I don't know how they did it. I really don't know how they did it. That ratio is amazing. It's horrifying. It's horrifying to think of the ratio of strippers to just average citizens in Rosemont, California. If I lived in Rosemont and I had a daughter, I would immediately move on the day of her birth because mathematically, you're a stripper. Uh, Off the bat, almost. It's like being in a it's being in a room with 400 people, you know mathematically two people have the same birthday. It's I mean it's been written. I'd get out of there. They don't. And it and we went up there thinking it would be it would be an interesting night and sure enough it was, but it wasn't interesting in the way that I expected it to be. I expected it to be because it's the first comedy show they did. They're trying to kind of repair their image and stuff like that, do other things. And I thought it was going to be just pure dog shit. I thought they were going to hate us, all that stuff. So they, I get up there, and it's a cool-looking room, and you'd be surprised at how easily a strip club is converted into a comedy club. What I didn't know, same tables and chairs that you would use. Um, the lounge couches I could do without, but same tables and chairs in the general area. The stage is a great comedy stage, if not for the poles. And the poles in this room were back far enough that it was going to work out okay. There was a good-sized crowd when we walked in. We walked in, and they said we were entitled to free food because it was uh, spaghetti and chicken dinner night. They just did a all-you-can-eat buffet-style spaghetti and chicken dinner night. And I didn't touch any of that. That's the last thing I want to do in a strip club is go to a, a pick-your-own-food buffet spaghetti and, and chicken dinner. I didn't I didn't go within 15 feet of that table but people were people were picking up plates and having themselves a great old time. Uh the dancers weren't there until the end of the show because they were going to do the real show which ended after ours. But one of the I'm guessing the main dancer was the waitress 
uh, for the show for the night. She seemed to be the star of Rosamond, California. Like she looked really nice and like, you know, she looked like she had a chance to get out and decided not to or or whatever. Like if she would have like like 11 years ago, 14 years ago. If she would have skated on out of Rosemond, Rosemond, this girl would have been a star somewhere. But she just some peckerhead probably kept her down, and now she's here. And it turns out she's a she's a foot fetish model and doing very well with that. She showed us her Instagram afterwards and said, "This is where I really make my money." I was like, "Wow, good for you." So anyway, we get there, and she's doing a good job taking care of us. You know, all the drinks, all the candies, all the whatever we would need for a show. Our green room is the stripper's green room, and it is exactly what you would think it was. I've never been in a stripper's green room before, but this particular one, it was amazing to me. Like, I know sexism exists. I know that. But what I will say is in this particular regard, these women were both having fun because they designed their own green room. And when I t- they designed the green room the way that I would have designed the green room if they let me design it. The- it's the exact same thing. They've got <laughs> raunchy and suggestive stickers all over the lockers. It's just, it's crazy. There's just like Cinderella stripper heels all over the stage. It's unbelievable. Sorry, I have a frog in my throat. I need to take a drink right now. Back to the show. Um, it, it, it was just loaded with exactly the shit you would think would be in, in, in a movie strip club green room. But it was nice. And so... I think it's going to be terrible. It's me. It's my friend Daniel. It's booked by my great friend Sam Ridley. Very funny guy. Um, headlining the show is Adam Hunter, who's been on just about everything um, that you've seen, like the, the networks and the clubs and all that stuff that you've seen before. He's going to go up there. And his act is kind of perfect for this. He does like one-liner jokes, and they're kind of hard-hitting type content stuff. So it works out well for him. My buddy Dan is is more of a slapstick guy, so I'm like he's gonna be great. But I'm sitting there going, even if this crowd is good, they're gonna they're gonna hate me. They're gonna hate. What are they gonna What are they gonna? <laughs> I do this thing when I'm in shit like what's what should be a shitty room for me, and I did it this night. We're sitting in the green room, and we're we're kind of hearing the crowd outside. And I I looked at my buddy Dan and I said they're gonna hate me. And then I said. Who's ready for some subtle wordplay about gun reform? And he just busted out laughing, knowing the hole I would have to try to dig out of. But I've got some, I've got some, you know, raunchy stuff. It's, I've got some stuff that they would like. So I knew I'd be, I had a chance, but I just wasn't certain it was going to go well. The show starts, and the crowd is great. There's a couple dozen people there, and they're fantastic. Like, they're actually listening to the comedy. They're yelling out a lot, but they're yelling out with enjoyment, having fun with it. And I'm, as long as they're having fun, I'm okay, because I thought they were going to want to kill us. So my buddy Dan gets up there, and he does a couple minutes of material, and then he lifts his shirt, like, to make it into a belly shirt, and everybody cheers and yells. And then he starts swinging on the stripper pole, and people start throwing money on stage. He made $14. And then he started shaking a little bit. And then at the end, all this stuff is done. And he decides he's going to take his shirt off as he's walking off stage. So everyone's going, yeah, good. And he walks past me and I, I shoot him a look of death. I say, thanks, Dan. Thanks for that. And he laughs. He goes, yeah, it's kind of a weird one to follow, isn't it? I said, yeah, 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 all of it I get. I get you swinging around the pole. I get you making your shirt a belly shirt. I get you doing what you need to do. Hey, just get through the set. But the set was over. You didn't have to take the shirt off. This, that, 
that was just that was just to dig me. There was not there was nothing left to be done. He already made his fourteen dollars. Then they announced me, and the host says, "If you like that one, this this next comic goes to the gym. <laughs> You're gonna love him. Give it up for Chris Flail." And now they're all hooting and hollering like I'm gonna like I'm gonna strip, and I'm not doing it. So I took the microphone right away and I looked at the crowd. I said, "I'm not showing you my tits," and they all went. Boo! I said, shut up. You already paid me, and you're paying me for my mind. And they had a good laugh. Luckily, they were good sports about it, and they laughed, and they settled in. I did about 25 minutes, and they listened. I couldn't believe they were one of the better crowds I've had in the last few months, and they listened to the actual material, and it was great. And I went up there dreading it so much, thinking, like, I'm just going to get smashed on this thing. There was a comic app between me and Adam. Adam brought this guy as a feature who I still don't get. He had, he had a tough time. It was like a, it was like a character persona. He was playing like a Bollywood actor, and he just kept saying "rocking, rocking" after his jokes. Kind of like Taj from, uh, the hell was that Van Wilder? It's kind of that thing, but a little more jazzy. I couldn't really hear what he was saying, and but they were still respectful. They were quiet, but they didn't like they didn't yell out. They weren't jerks. Um, and then afterwards, the crowd was really nice to us. And I realized that sometimes my optimism gets the best of me. Um, I was washing my hands before we left to go home because uh, because of I'm in a strip club in Rosamond. I've washed my hands every 14 seconds in that place. And there's a guy at the edge of the bathroom talking to me and Dan and saying, "Oh man, you guys were the you guys were the greatest, man. We need to come see you again." I was like, "Oh, thanks." He's like, "And yeah, and we go see a lot of comedy, man. I'm not from Rosemont. I just went to Bakersfield to see Bert Kreischer." He's pointing at Dan like, "That's why I loved you, man. You took your shirt off. You you worked with the room." I'm like, "Yeah, thanks a lot, man." He's like, "Yeah, I'm not from here. I did 3 years in Folsom." And when he said Folsom, I get too optimistic about things that I know, like references I know. When he said Folsom, the first thing I think of is Johnny Cash. Folsom Prison Blues, Johnny Cash fan. So all I hear, all I hear is the word la, 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 Folsom. And, all I, and I say, I, I lift my head up and I go, oh, that's awesome. And then as I say, that's awesome, my brain catches up to the rest of me where he says, I spent three years in Folsom Prison and I and I look at him, and his his body's full of tattoos. His arm has a 100% tattoo, um, which I later learned means either he killed somebody, uh, or he was a he was in the Aryan Brotherhood, which. But he loved the whole show. A black host, um, Indian performer. I'm a vaguely semi-Syrian guy. There was enough diversity to give him fits if he truly was a 100%. Uh, Aryan race, Aryan brotherhood dude, and he, but he loved it. But anyway, my brain caught up to me to realize that he was in Folsom Prison for three years. And I said, ah, oh, I mean, I mean, it's not awesome, but, it, you know, it's a good story, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, was in, uh, I was in Folsom for three years and seven years in another place. And, I, and, and now my brain's going like, what the fuck did he do? Because he's like... He might not have even been 30. So this dude, this dude was after it. But it was cool. And then I actually had to hide from him. He kept giving us too much credit throughout the night. I had to like, I had to go away because I'm like, it, at some point I have to tell this guy enough's enough. And then I'm pretty sure he's going to stab me. He doesn't mind doing 10 years. 
Um, so we, we said goodbye to him. We thanked him a bunch of times, shook his hand, washed my hands again, uh, shook all the staff's hands, shook the tow model's hand, washed my hands twice, and then we got out of there like thieves in the night. Made away. Show went well. Got a couple follow-up bookings from that show already um, and a couple good ones on the horizon. So little did we know, the two, the two gigs that I had this year, the two kind of tentpole gigs so far is a... I, I did my best to entertain 400 LAPD officers and they hated me and I was absolutely beloved by um, I was absolutely beloved by a room full of typical strip club attendants strippers and and the the dregs of Rosamond California so I feel like maybe these are my people I mean, I'm from where I'm from. I'm from a rugged spot. These must be my people. The upper crust and and the law and order just might not be my thing. Maybe I'm just a, maybe I'm a chaos guy. So, with that said, uh, and for any future strip club, whorehouse, swingers club uh, bookings, call me. I'll do my best for you. I don't know if they're gonna like it or not, but it seems like they might enjoy the nastiness. That is me and my comedic friends. Uh, with that said, thank you very much for listening to this again. March 21st, Streets of Bakersfield Comedy Showcase. If you're in the Paso Robles area, I'll be there this Wednesday uh, headlining a show at, I believe it's called The Poor House. Um, Wednesday, I think the show starts at 7. It's going to be a really good one. Got my buddy Joe Alanis on it. Robbie Cherry from down there. Uh, Christiana is the host of that one. She does a great job with the show. They've been standing room only for the last couple months. Looking forward to that. Doing two shows, um, March 20th in Boron, California, wherever that is. But I know it's only like a 3,000 population town. I'm hoping it's near a resort or whatever. I may need just, I may need the strip club crowd to come out and support for that. But again, main show, March 21st, Templar Brewing Company, 8 p.m., Matt Edgar, Rachel Wolfson, Kelly Ryan, Bruce Gray. I'll be your host. It's going to be a motherfucker of a show. If you're in the area, come check it out. If not, follow us all. Uh, add us all on social media. Again, thanks so much for all you around the country, around the world who listen. I don't know why you do, but I'm glad you do. Uh, it's been the most fun for me to just check my little stat thing and see where you guys all are. Again, feel free to reach out uh, and, and contact me. I'd love to hear from you. Chris Flail, F is in Frank or Foxtrot, if you're a real person, L-A-I-L, Facebook, Instagram, uh, email, chris.flail at gmail.com. Get a hold of me however you can. Look forward to talking to you soon. Take care.